0: Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior, to think that the God of all glory would take a name like man of sorrows uh, just to to redeem us. He was acquainted with grief, the Bible said. Let's turn to Luke 19, and we're going to learn of an account of one such sinner that he came to redeem. Luke 19, uh, look at verse number one. <clears throat> Luke 19. Verse one, it said, "And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he, uh, he sought excuse me, and he sought to see Jesus, whom he was, and could not, for the press, because he was of little stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be, uh, be guest with a man that was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken any, anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to his house, to this house, for, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And let's pray, Heavenly Father, I ask that You would help us this morning. Be with my my thoughts, my mind. Lord, uh, help me to only say that which would be pleasing to you and that you desire for us to have today. May your Holy Spirit uh, do the work that only he can do in each of our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We learn of uh, a man here that is uh, well known to the children as we sing that children's song. Uh, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Any kids want to help me with the rest? He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. As the Lord passed by, was It was passed by the way? I'm sorry, I already ruined it. You see, this is why I don't do specials, okay? But Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. And uh, Jesus, of course, uh, singles out this man, a despised man, uh, a sinner, as he was called. And uh, and of course that criticism. Notice it says that they all murmured. They all murmured. Now. All we have to work with when we're studying the Word of God are the words. God gave us His Word. We believe in verbal, plenary inspiration around here. Verbal, that means words. God spoke it, and plenary, every, every word. Uh, inspiration, God breathed, given by inspiration of God. And so as we look at this, and we see the word all there, it didn't say most of them. It didn't say some of them, all of them. Now, who was included in this group? His disciples. you think they would have learned this lesson by now. But the Son of Man came to seeking to save that which was lost. In Luke 19, here it indicates really a building of momentum. Now, as Jesus enters his final weeks before uh, the sacrifice on Calvary, previously Jesus was met by a blind man who sought Christ uh, for physical sight, but by faith received spiritual sight. I'm very thankful that I once was blind, but now I see, as the songwriter said it. Jesus had also recently raised Lazarus from the dead at Bethany, and as news of these miracles spread, there certainly arose even more excitement when the, uh, this group had traveled to Jesus. Word also had spread to Jericho that Jesus was coming, and that he'd healed a blind man, and Jericho was a crossroads for people coming from the east into Jerusalem as they would travel there. And, uh, and now keep in mind, this is gonna, we're coming up to some very busy times because what is on the horizon is Passover. As, uh, as that was when this Lamb, Jesus Christ, would be slain for the sins of the world, it was going to ha- correspond with Passover. And so there's going to be some foot traffic, and there's going to be some people coming this way, and Jesus himself is coming in this crossroads here in Jericho. And in this text before us, Luke records, uh, 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 in Luke's record here, rather, the focus is on this tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus, who would not stop until he would be able to see Jesus. And we're going to learn from Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus that uh, when, when one truly meets the Savior, his life has changed forever. His life has changed forever. So as we look at this text, notice we want to draw our attention to this curious seeker here. This curious seeker in verse number nine, uh, chapter 19, verse 1, it said, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And uh, as we look at this, let's consider his, his position. It says uh, he was a chief among the publicans. And he was rich. Who is this guy? His position—he held this position, this title, chief among the publicans. He was one of the highest-ranking tax collectors in the, for the Roman government. Now, now, tax collectors were were extremely despised by the Jews. In fact, so much so that they had a title for them—publicans. Publicans was synonymous with sinners. All right, it'd be like saying this of, of a job. Uh, this guy is, is a professional liar. All right, I know we call them politicians, but uh, this guy's a professional liar, right? Or this guy is a professional thief, crook, used car salesman, okay? We don't have any used car salesman, do we? I don't want to offend anyone. I did hear about a used car salesman one time that got saved, and he was so troubled uh, uh, after he got saved about his profession. He was counseling with his pastor. He says, I, I can't, I don't know if I can keep doing this you know, and, uh, and it was one of the lower end used cars, you know, trying to just sell these junkers to, to, to people, and, uh, you know, and, and you see these poor situations come through, and it's like, I don't want to put this extra burden on them as they're going in debt for this junky car that's not going to last the length of the, of the loan, you know, and he actually ended up quitting his job, because as a new believer, he just couldn't keep that profession. Now, it's not to say all used car salesmen are crooks or liars or whatever, but, um, But uh, here we have this, this, this of of the publicans, of these tax collectors. He was a high-ranking one. Now, here's how it would work: the the Romans would elect or would select a few um, uh, uh, Jews who would be their tax collectors, and they basically said, you know, here's what we're expecting that we receive, but anything on top of that that you can get, that's all on you. And so a lot of these guys are very dishonest, and uh, uh, you know, uh, they didn't really have um, the... I almost said the, the strict tax codes that we have today, but let me just say there's a lot of uh, crookedness going on with that as well these days. But, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't well-regulated so that they could kind of add a little bit on top for themselves. And so these publicans, they would basically you know sell their soul to the Roman government, and they were very wealthy for it. Matthew was such a tax collector, one of Jesus' disciples who wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He was one of those tax collectors. His name was also known as Levi. Here we have this chief tax collector. And, uh, and there were really three levels of tax collector. Zacchaeus was at the highest level, and uh, the, it was called in the Latin the uh, publicanus, the, the highest level. And, uh, and, and you could see them as, as just that, as traitors. The Jews would see this person. Now, I want to say this it was hard enough being a Jew in the Roman Empire. I mean, they were harassed. They were, uh, now, they, 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 we keep in mind as we're reading the New Testament, we're reading the, the life of Jesus in particular, we forget sometimes that they were under the Roman occupation. The Romans had control of that whole region, and the Jews were under uh, the, this Roman bondage, if you would. Now, they had relative freedom. It's not like they were slaves, like they were in Egypt. But, uh, but really, they couldn't do anything without the Romans' approval. And in fact, if you saw a Roman soldier walking along, you'd kind of walk on the other side of the road. And, and uh, you know, they, it was just, you, you don't want to get harassed. You, they, they were just trying to live their life quiet and peaceable, and, and, uh, and just trying to be Jews. Well, these tax collectors were traitors. They've turned on their own people. They're exploiting their own people for their own gain. You know, they just get a little off the top. They just maybe raise it a percent or two and, of what they're collecting, and they kind of keep that, and it, and it finances their lavish lifestyle. And it made a point in our text that he was rich. Verse 2, uh, he was a publican, chief among the publicans and was rich. He had great prosperity, but it was on the backs of his own people. You see, they didn't—they <laughs> didn't like tax collectors. In fact, they had a lot of jokes about ch- these cheap tax collectors. And um, there was a there was a kid uh, who was choking one day, and he was choking on a quarter, and, and uh, they are trying to get him to, to cough it up, and they hit him on the back. Finally, a man steps up, he goes, I know what to do, and gives him the hind lick, and he's kind of hitting his back, and finally gets the quarter out, and, and uh, the mother was so grateful. oh, thank you so much, you know, how did you know to do that? Are you, you know, c- c- CPR certified, or, you know, how did you know? He goes, no, ma'am, I work for the IRS. <laughs> and if it means getting a quarter out of a child, we're going to get our quarter. Um, You know, but this is this is the the, the mindset of however we can make a buck, however I can, you know, exploit my own people, he was very prosperous. But notice verse number three, he had a purpose this day. Bible says he sought to see Jesus, who he was and could not for the press because he was of little stature. He sought Jesus, and, and the word there it means, it means to, to find, seeking by, by thinking, meditating, or reasoning to inquire into. He wanted to look into this thing. What is all this fuss about this Jesus, the one who, who causes blind men to see and lame men to walk and even dead to rise again, as we saw with, uh, uh, with uh, Jesus' friend? He wanted to see who this was, and he had a, a, an intellectual interest. He had some questions maybe he wanted to see answered. He wanted truth about who Jesus was, and as it says, to see who he was. And Perhaps he had heard of, uh, of, of one of Jesus' chosen disciples, Matthew, who was a former Republican like himself. Maybe they went to the same school. I don't know. But he was in, in, intrigued. But since Zacchaeus was very short... By the way, he's already despised for being a tax collector, but now he's a short one at that. Can you hear the jokes? <laughs> Can you hear the way the other Jews would just kind of mock this particular tax collector? And, uh, uh, but he was of little stature, and because of the press, that means because there were so many people pressed around Jesus, he saw the, the crowd coming through and he saw the fuss that was being made, and so he kind of calculated his mind real quick. By the way, uh, tax collectors were good with numbers, typically, and, and they, 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 they were very analytical. He sees the trajectory of this crowd. He sees the road they're on. They're probably not going to depart from the road. So he runs ahead, and he finds a sycamore tree, and he climbs up into it. So he just might be able to see in the middle of that crowd. I just want to see who who, who, the, the, the person that this whole fuss is about. Who is this Jesus? By the way, if we understand who Jesus was, who Jesus is, there's no length too great to go through to get to him. To to have an experience, to, to find this Savior, and then I just want to say this: if there is any skepticism in your mind, if there is any doubt who Jesus is in your mind today, I want to say if 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 the claim's just possible, it could be true. You better search it out. You better find out. The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, because if it is true, and you reject, you lose everything. You know, it's the amazing thing about the, the, the debate with an atheist. You see, if, if I'm wrong, at the end of the day, I've had a pretty blessed life for living by the standards and morals of Scriptures. Quite frankly, there are laws uh, in nature that are proved in the Word of God that, that you do them, and life just goes good in general. THERE ARE SOME FINANCIAL PRACTICES THAT TEND TO BE BLESSED that, THAT LOST PEOPLE HAVE FOUND THEM TO BE TRUE and, and their business is blessed. Even though they're lost, they, they, they found these spiritual principles and these spiritual truths. There are some truths about honoring authority and how it's going to go better with you when you learn to submit, that there is freedom in submission. And, uh, and, and, and we have all these principles. We have wonderful truths and principles about marriage and child rearing. And if you just apply those, I just want to say things are going to go a bit better. So at the end of the day, if, I, if, if I'm wrong and, and we just kind of turn to nothing, I've had a pretty good life. The flip side, if the atheist is wrong, he's gotten by in this life and maybe he's had a good life. But at the end of it all, if it costs him an eternity in a place called the lake of fire, I want to say he's lost everything. He's lost it all. But I want to say we have many infallible proofs that God is real, that the Word of God stands sure. The fact that the God of all creation has revealed Himself to us through His Word. How amazing is that? That we can read the Word of the living God and know Him. And Jesus here, uh, he sees, he recognizes this person who's inquisitive. He recognizes this person who's going through great lengths just to simply see him. He sought him. He was inquisitive. He he uh, he had questions. Maybe he was he was trying to look. What was all this fuss about? I got to see this Jesus. Now now, what's amazing is you consider Zacchaeus, he had a lot of things. Jesus had said not that long ago, it's harder for a rich man in, to enter into heaven than a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Why? Because we tend to trust in our certain riches. Folks, who is going to tell Bill Gates anything? Right. Look at his wealth. Look at all he's created. Look at all this stuff. Are you going to go to Bill Gates and say, now, Bill Gates, all this is going to burn? And then one day every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess, but you better bow and confess on this side. Because it's not going to be good to bow and confess on that side. And to, to, and to, and to look at him and say, you've, you've got it all wrong, Billy. You see, you're on the top of the world with all your wealth. But have you submitted to the king of kings? It's, it's, it's hard. This, this very wealthy Jewish tax collector probably didn't have many friends. The friends he had are probably very superficial. The Bible even tells us that, uh, that, that if you're rich, you're going to have a lot of friends. But they're not real friends, t- typically. So he probably could host lavish parties, and all these people just show up? Probably a lot of Romans. But he didn't have any real friends. He was probably very lonely. Outwardly, you think, man, look at all the stuff he's got. and He's still missing something in his life. So you see this short, probably middle-aged man in very, very nice attire. And what's he doing? He's climbing a tree. Now, we tell our children, you know, if they're going to go play on Sundays... You know, change out of your church clothes, right? You don't want to get them all messed up. And, you know, you definitely don't want your child climbing trees in their Sunday best. Zacchaeus here was, might say, in his Sunday best. He, uh, the tax collectors dressed well, and, and they, were, they were wealthy, just like the Pharisees loved to dress well because it was almost a picture like, look at God's blessing on me, okay? And his man is now in a tree, what a picture. Notice the compassion of Jesus. See, Jesus saw the extreme lengths that Zacchaeus went through in order to see him, and he had compassion on him. And, uh, and first thing I notice here is he looked unselfishly at him. Look at verse number five. And when Jesus came to the place, this tree, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, quickly, come down. For today, I must abide at Thy house. First of all, Jesus saw Zacchaeus here, and at this time, again, put yourself in the mind and in the the shoes of Jesus, the sandals of Jesus. He's going towards that cross. He's weeks away. Being 100% God yet 100% man, the God side of Him really saw what was to come. And the man side of him understood he was going to be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, as we sang a minute ago. He was going to die for the sins of the whole world. He was going to bear that load upon his shoulders, such a heavy load that the night before he was taken, he was there in the garden crying out to God uh, and sweating, as it were, great drops of blood to the ground. And let me just say this, the only time you ever find Jesus even coming close to the possibility of disobeying the Father, as he says, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he prayed in agony and he prayed earnestly. So heavy was he that the angels had to come and minister to him. See, that's on his mind. That's what he's seeing is coming. And he tells his disciples the Son of Man must be taken. We saw that in the last chapter, and they're missing it. He must be crucified, he must be taken. And he's thinking about all this stuff. And what does he do? Amidst all of that, he sees a, a low-down, rotten, good-for-nothing tax collector up in a tree. He says, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go visit with you today. Just get that mindset. By the way, I want to say this. Jesus is known as a friend of sinners. Yet he makes time, he makes time for each individual. A friend of sinners. It's amazing what they said of him. Is um, let me let me jump ahead just a little bit. Um, verse seven. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. I'm very thankful that Jesus is willing to be a friend of a sinner. Or else none of us would be saved. I said, none of us would be saved. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Folks, none of us are worthy in our flesh, in ourselves, to come into God's presence. None of us are worthy to stand before the holy God. None of us are. And this Zacchaeus, of all people, was not worthy. He's coming. He knows his faults. He knows our faults. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he knew every sin, every evil action he had committed, every time he extorted a, a poor widow woman. Don't think he didn't do that. Every time he, uh, he, he made some kind of bad dealing, in fact, it even talks about how even with lies, he got his wealth. did some, some fuzzy math in there as he's calculating the taxes the people owed. Jesus knew all that. And of all the people, he goes to him and says, Hey, I'm going to your house today. That was quite an honor to have Jesus come into your house. We find him at the Pharisee's house. We find him at Mary and Martha's house. We find him in different houses, but Zacchaeus? Psalm 139, verse 1 through 4, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou hast known my down-sitting and my uprising, and thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou compass my path with, uh, uh, in my lying down and art acquainted with my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. The psalmist is saying that this obvious statement that God knows me. God knew Zacchaeus. He knew his faults. He knew his failures. He knew everything about Zacchaeus. And I want to say this. You think you know each other. You think we know one another, right? If we knew everything there was to know about each other, uh, we'd, be, we'd probably say, you know, I don't think we need to be around each other anymore. Because what do we do? We put our best foot forward, and we, we want people to like us. And boy, if you, if you knew my thoughts... If you knew everything about me, and if we knew everything about each other—those those, those struggles of our lives, and the, and the, 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 the things that we, that we find ourselves thinking about—and and, you know, the, the, the various, various areas—we uh, would be a little embarrassed, I think, one of another. And yet, despite of all that, Jesus loves us personally. What a thought! The one who knows me the best loves me the most. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name. He is so, he, he, he associated with those who, uh, although they were sinners, had humbled themselves and were, were now followers of him. And what's interesting is the name Zacchaeus means righteous one. Can you imagine going to your tax collector and calling him righteous one as he takes your money? Much of it by thievery. Righteous one. Here's the amazing thing about, about this. You know, he never knew true righteousness until he met Jesus. Now, folks, that's how it is with you and me. We try to earn righteousness. We try to be righteous. We try to act righteous. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah, all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The best you and I can muster up in our strength, in our activity, in our action, we, we, we present it to God. God, aren't you impressed with this? And he looks at that and says, Ugh. Throw that rag away. And, and, and the description of it in, in the book of Isaiah talks about uh, the, the Israel and the, their body being full of putrefying sores. And these types of rags were the rags that were known to, to wrap a lepers' wounds and full of pus and filth and nastiness. And let me just say, the only thing you do with those rags is you take them outside of the camp and you burn them. That's all you can do with those rags. You know, you can't wash them, you can't reuse them. They're nasty, they're filthy, they're infected. And then this is how God describes or assesses our own righteousness. See, we look at each other and say, wow, that was a righteous act. That was, a, that was an amazing thing that you did. And, and when we bring that to God, we say, God, this is why you should accept me. This is, you know, aren't, aren't you lucky to have me on your team? God looks at that and goes, oh, that stinks to high heaven. That is filthy. Get that away from me. In the book of Job, the Bible even says that, 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 that the heavens are unclean to God. That's how holy and high up and lifted up and lofty God is. Zacchaeus had a name of righteousness, but was known as a sinner. When he comes to Jesus, he's going to learn what righteousness is all about. Not about what we bring to God, but what God really brings to us. What we could not do in our own flesh, and what we could not do in our own weakness, Jesus bridges that gap and He and He and He conquers that for us. He makes us righteous. He you knew no sin, sin, the Lord Jesus Christ, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He makes us righteous. Romans 4 talks about that, that it's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. Imputed. He puts it into our account, not by any works that we have done. What a Savior. Romans 5a, but God commendeth his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not only did did, did Christ call him out by name as he saw him, and, and though he knew him, he loved him personally. Notice Jesus then seeks out Zacchaeus. He saw him, then he sought him. Just as Zacchaeus sought Jesus, Z- Jesus is now seeking Zacchaeus. In verse number five, again, and, Jesus, uh, then, uh, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. What a day. Now, I don't know about you, but my tendency would have been, uh-oh. Jesus says, "Come down. I'm coming to your house. Uh, Why? What's what's going on? (laughs) I just had some questions, and now you're singling me out. Uh, You know, uh, no doubt he's convicted. No doubt he knows he's a he's a good for nothing sinner. Uh, He's already been rejected by every other Jew that he knows, and now this Jesus, this Rabbi, this Master Teacher is calling him out personally. The Bible says he receives him joyfully. There was something about that reception." There was something, I don't know if it was a look in Jesus' face, it was the tone or what it was, but he receives him joyfully. What a wonderful thing it is. And by the way, that's how Jesus receives us. And that's when we receive Jesus, it ought to be joyfully. When we receive Jesus, it should not be by twisting your arm. It should not be with coercion. You realize, hey, folks, this is a good thing. The fact that the God of all creation loved me, laid down his life for me, and he says freely, just come. Whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just come. Come to me. What, a, what an amazing invitation. One person said it this way and actually became the call of a, of a missions group years ago. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Boy, when you think of it that way, I'm the reward of Christ's suffering. I don't want him to suffer for nothing. He died for me. He died for you. If nothing else, folks, he's worthy. But to think of coming joyfully, when I got saved, I want to say this, God got nothing, and I got everything. You know, sometimes we see someone, and they're just like maybe a hard worker, and they're just a good moral person, and you think to yourself, "Ah, boy, it would be wonderful if that person got saved. And if we're not careful, we kind of look at that, and he'd he'd be a good one to have on God's team. Folks, God doesn't need any of us. But how privileged we are to be called uh, one of his. Behold, um, 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 um. I had a verse. (laughs) What love the Father hath bestowed upon us, there it is, that we should be called the sons of God. He loved us so much that he would call us his son and, and, and bring us into his family and say, say, you are my child. What an amazing thought. And, and he, here's the thought that, 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 that Jesus sought out Zacchaeus. He says, come to me. And, and, he, uh, and he was seeking Zacchaeus as Zacchaeus was seeking him. And what happened? He received him joyfully. And what a blessing it was going to be for Zacchaeus. And then, of course, Jesus loves him unconditionally. Verse number seven, And when he saw it, they all murmured, saying, "And uh, he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner." Think about this now. There's so many people around Jesus that Zacchaeus could not see him. That's a lot of people. That's not just twelve disciples. Zacchaeus couldn't see him because of the press. The Bible says so. He goes ahead, climbs up in the trees, so we can see him. A lot of people here, and all of a sudden, amidst all those people, probably any of them would have been willing to have Jesus into their house. Calls out Zacchaeus, and they all start murmuring. (laughs) Going to his house? A sinner? Come on. By the way, think of the mindset of those that were murmuring. Doesn't he know I'm standing here? Doesn't he know he could have dinner with me? But he loves this sinner unconditionally, a sinner whose, whose occupation title is synonymous with sinner, publican. Throughout Jesus' ministry, Jesus showed this unconditional love, really to every person he met. Zacchaeus was no, uh, uh, no, no exception. By the way, Jesus showed such love to those who never followed him. Think about that for a minute. It wasn't just to those who would follow him. It was to everyone he came in contact with. He healed ten lepers. One comes back and he says, were well, there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Folks, he loved all ten of those, even though one came back. He, he fed 5,000 men plus women and children, another time 4,000, and, and, and all those people. And they came back the next day, and he, and he gave them the message that I am the bread of life. And, 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 and he's telling them, you've got to believe in me, and you've got to let me be your meat, my, your sustenance, and, and you've got to follow me. And, and, the, and the message was hard for them to receive, so many of his disciples turned away and followed no more. John chapter 6. And Jesus turns to his own disciples there, his chosen ones, and says, will ye turn away also? Will you go away also? He loved all those 5,000 men plus women and children. He loved them all. And I want to say this, he knew their names. And he fed them. And he wanted them to receive the truth that he had for them, and he wanted them to follow him. He wanted it. And he loves them. And his heart was broken as they went away. And Jesus, when he looked upon the masses, he, he had compassion upon them because they they, they 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 were sheep having no shepherd. He loved them all, even though not all would follow. He loved them unconditionally. Luke 15, verse 2, And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. This is not the first time they've had that accusation. The crowd responded to Jesus' love with scorn. He openly loves the unlovable, and they scorn him. The critics did not see that their sin was as bad as Zacchaeus' sin, their sin of self-righteousness their sin that was hidden while his was very public and open in fact he wore his sin like a garment this is the attire of a publican very open by the way some sins are a little more open than others and while we can hide our sins we can look at with scorn and judgment and we look down on those of the other with other sins and I'm reminded of a, of a song, a wonderful song. I think I've referenced it a few times. Uh, well, Carrie, you've got to remind me. We've we just got to learn it and so we can do it. Um, but uh, it was written by a, by a pastor there on the East Coast years ago called This Must Be the Place. And, of course, talking about the church and the message that the church carries, the message of Christ, and the chorus goes, This must be the place where a broken heart can mend. This must be the place where the outcast finds a friend. For we cannot lift the fallen if our hand still holds a stone. And their sin, which seems so great to us, is no greater than our own. There must be a point where shame meets grace. And this must be the place. Folks, that's what Christ is all about. That's the message of Jesus. We look at it with scorn. We say, oh, this person, they need to get their act together. That's not what it looks like to come to church. That's not what it looks like to be a Christian. That's not what it looks I mean, we have this idea in our mind, and we look with scorn, and we look on saying, why don't they have their act together yet? Did you hear pastor was visiting the house of those people? Just put the rock down. Let go, loosen your grip, and reach out your hand. That was Jesus. And, of course, the reference, that woman that there was caught in adultery. Caught in the very act. By the way, doesn't that act take two? Where was the man? Oh, it's only bad if a woman's doing that. They grab this woman, they bring her before Jesus, and they, and they say, she was caught in the very act, and they all got their stones. The law says it a stoner. What do you say, Rabbi, teacher? I love how he just doesn't even respond to them. He just kind of starts doodling in the ground. And everyone says, oh, what he started writing was their own sins, or he was writing out the Ten Commandments. And, Folks, we don't know what he was writing, okay? But then he just says to them a simple statement. Finally, he speaks, and he says that he that is without sin cast the first stone. What a convicting statement that causes that anger and that, that hatred uh, uh, that is causing that, that, that death grip on that stone to just start weakening. You know, I should be the recipient of this rock, shouldn't I? Because the soul that sinneth, the law says, Leviticus, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So yeah, you caught her in adultery, but what about your pride? You caught her in adultery are your self-righteousness. By the way, in the list of things God hates, adultery wasn't one of them, but pride was. These six days, that the Lord hates ye seven are abomination to him. A proud look. Uh, I wish I had it memorized. It starts with a proud look. talks about hands that shed innocent blood. Um, you guys can look that up for yourself. It's in Proverbs. Um, but anyways... <laughs> See, the crowd didn't see it. Romans 3.10, as is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and come short of the glory of God. Folks, we're all in that boat. We all need the love of Christ. We all need that forgiveness. And when we try to come with a name that says righteousness, we will fail. It's false. It's counterfeit righteousness. We need the imputed righteousness of Christ. Paul spoke much about the righteousness which is found by the law, in the law, and how it comes short. How it comes short. But Christ is the end of the law. And then lastly, we see a converted soul. Verse number 8, it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've taken anything from any man by false accusations, by lying, I restore him fourfold. You see, we see this heart of repentance revealed. When he met Jesus, Zacchaeus' heart uh, was exposed. He he promised to make amends to his countrymen for cheating them out of their money. And and let me just say, he built a very lavish lifestyle off of cheating. Can you imagine going back over his books, how much that's going to cost him? It's pretty serious. And I just want to say that when true repentance is taking place and when God has touched a heart, listen, no, no length can be too great to make things right. I think about the prodigal son, what his confession was going to be to the father when he came home. I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight. No more worthy to be called thy son. You see, when we're dealing with things and we, we bring it before God, and that is, that is primary and that is the most important, but let me just say it ought to lead us to make things right with our fellow man. Or did change really take place? Is, you know, oh God, I'm just so sorry for this. Oh, you're sorry. Go make it right. Go make it right. Folks, we have, we have an obligation. As ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Yes, reconciling people to God, but, but being able to reconcile each, uh, to each other. His heart's revealed here, this heart of Repentance. Zacchaeus professed Christ as Lord, verse number 8 again, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods. He didn't call him rabbi, teacher. He didn't call him, uh, he called him Lord. Now Zacchaeus was working for Rome, and the only person he could call Lord was Caesar. Caesar. He had put his faith in Jesus Christ now, and he publicly calls him Lord. And repentance is very evident by uh, this admission of calling him Lord. And let me just say this I do not believe in the false doctrine of Lordship salvation. You might call it legalism. You say, What is that? That's, well, you, in order to be saved, you've got to make Jesus Lord of your life. And I want to say this I know a lot of Christians, myself included, that, that I'm still learning to yield parts of my life to him. He is not Lord of my whole life, but he is Lord, and he is my Lord. And and as I'm drawing closer to him and I'm learning to walk with God, He is taking control and He's becoming my master in more and more areas, and I'm saying, God, I'm yours, and I'm presenting myself a living sacrifice unto God. But I want to say this that when you get saved, it starts with a declaration of who he is. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is Lord. He is Lord. And it takes that declaration. It's not just, oh, I believe in the good teacher. I believe in the prophet Jesus. No, no. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is Lord. Matthew 10:32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. Romans 14, 9, For to this end Christ both died and rose again and received that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. He is Lord. Zacchaeus offers then financial restoration. Again, verse, uh, verse 8, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and I taken, if I have taken from any man by false accusation, I may restore him fourfold. When Jesus saves a person, he offers more than just forgiveness of sin, but he leads him to a changed life. He leads him to a changed life. Yes, he justifies me. That deals with my sins. But he also sanctifies me. That deals with my righteous living. That deals with my, my holiness. That deals with my walk with God. And, uh, and that, is, that is what he is doing in my life. And Zacchaeus was a changed man. It's amazing when someone makes a profession of faith, and and there's just no change. Now listen, we're not saved by the change. We're not saved by good works. But the Bible tells us uh, in in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, For by grace are you saved. Grace is something that's undeserved. By grace are you saved. Through faith, not of yourselves, is the gift of God. Verse 9, Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, For we are as workmanship... His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Folks, he saves us for a purpose. He saves us not to just leave us there, but he saves us to take us further. I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. He wants to take us further, make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And how does he do that? Through service, through loving others, through being a blessing. Whatsoever you've done to the least of these, Jesus says, you've done it unto me. How do we serve God? You're not going to serve God like, a, like, like a, 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 a hermit in a cave, just you and your Bible. I'm serving God, and I'm not going to talk to anybody because I might get tempted to sin. No, no, no. You serve God by serving others. The Bible even talks about sometimes there might be opportunities where we have entertained angels unaware. Sometimes God just might send us someone just for us to serve him. Sometimes God allows divine appointments to come into our lives, an opportunity to be a blessing. Zacchaeus was a changed man. He confessed his dishonest practices. And let me just say this, you'll never come to Christ until you get to the place where you realize, you know, I am a, I'm a scoundrel too. I'm a sinner too. You'll never come to that place. You're not going to need a Savior until you recognize you need saving. Why do I need saving? Because I'm a sinner. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, as he lays out what the gospel is, he says that Christ died for our sins. Folks, he didn't die for our happiness. He didn't die for our prosperity. He died for our sins. Because our sins have separated us from God. That's Zacchaeus here. He confesses dishonest practices. The first thing he even brings up to Jesus is he says, Come down, and he receives him joyfully. And he, The first thing he says to Jesus, he doesn't say, Oh, Jesus, wait till, wait till you see this meal I've got prepared for you. You're going to be so impressed. Wait till you see my nice house. Uh, you're going to love it. You're going to feel so at ease and just so comfortable in my wonderful house and my big screen TV and all these nice things that I've got. You're going to love it, Jesus. No, no, he says, Jesus, I've got to get some things straight here. You see, Um I've been dishonest. And I've purposed in my heart, here's what I'm going to do, Jesus. I'm going to restore it to everybody. And if I've done anything deceitfully, those people, I'm going to restore them fourfold. He just deals with the main issue right away. Boy, I'm a sinner. But boy, I don't deserve you to come into my house. Generosity replaced his greed. Zacchaeus had received grace. Um from the generosity of Jesus Christ and the most generous person who ever lived and now he he demonstrates uh, or he determines that to follow Jesus example he practices generosity himself in fact in second uh, corinthians chapter 8 the bible gives this this example as we talk about generosity uh, Paul was talking to the church of Corinth, and he said, he talks about those poor Christians in Macedonia, and it says how they gave sacrificially, uh, even though they were in poverty, and they had great affliction, they gave sacrificially to relieve the suffering of those Christians over there in Jerusalem. And, uh, and, and now he's encouraging the church of Corinth to do the same thing that they had promised they were going to give, and they hadn't given yet. And he says, this is something you should do. And he says, he says even Jesus himself, though he was rich, became poor for your sakes, that ye, through his poverty, might be rich. He says this is what generosity looks like. Jesus leaving the thrones, the glories of heaven, and humbling himself to a servant all the way to the cross so that you and I will have spiritual riches. Joint heirs with Jesus. What an example of generosity. See, you start to realize all these things that Zacchaeus had earned and accomplished— dishonestly meant nothing it's all going to burn folks when we start having that perception that perspective of Jesus and his generosity we start to realize listen there are some things in life that matter and there are some things that really just don't matter there are some things worth giving yourselves for there are some things that just really are going to burn so as Peter wrote of this gift of God, the generosity of God, said in 2 Corinthians 9.15, "But thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift." Not only did generosity replace greed, but honesty replace slander, lies, and extortion. He said, if there's anybody that I had wronged by false accusation, I'm going to restore them fourfold. Zacchaeus realized that Christ was now the owner of his life and all that he possessed. He previously performed, he had patterns of lying and extortion, would be replaced with honesty. Luke 6, 46, why call, uh, uh, And why call ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And then he, we see the receiving heart that Zacchaeus had, an indication that he was redeemed. Verse number 9. First of all, it was based on Zacchaeus' faith. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to his, this house, for as much as also he is the son of Abraham. And Jesus and those who would, uh, were present there are now, now saw a transformed man. The Lord affirmed the salvation had come to Zacchaeus' house, that he had experienced it truly. You see, we're not saved by the plan of salvation, we're saved by the man of salvation. You see, a lot of people have intellectual knowledge. They understand all these things. I was one of them for years. I told people how to be saved, and I was lost. I, I, I pointed to Jesus, and, and, I, and I had not experienced it myself. Adrian Rogers once said, uh, When a man has the Bible kind of faith, it is not simply propositional truth. It is a relational, it is relational truth. What I mean by this, being a Christian is not just intellectually believing things about the Lord, it is receiving the Lord experientially. And I'm not talking about I've had some kind of divine experience that I point to, but, but I've experienced the forgiveness, and I've experienced the relationship of Jesus Christ based on the truth. And if we're not careful, what we tend to do, and with our children in particular, is we give them a bunch of propositions, propositional truth. Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross. And and, and if we're not careful, this is where it's tough when the kid is raised in in church. Is it it propositional or is it experiential? Because they can tell you everything all day long. They can give you the right answers. But do they believe it? Have they internalized it? Do they understand it on a faith level? We see Zacchaeus' faith. We see uh, uh, Christ's payment. That last part of... uh, of uh, verse number 9 is interesting. Jesus said unto this day salvation has come to the house to this house for as much as he also is the son of Abraham. What uh, What was the the issue with the son of Abraham? The Bible says that through Abraham's seed, and he was a singular seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Who is that seed? Jesus Christ. But also, as one of the chosen children of Israel, Jesus came unto his own, and this one of his own had received. Galatians 3.14, that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And praise God for that transitional change that took place as he lays it out in Galatians, that this promise from Abraham and to Abraham, because of his seed, hath gone now out to the Gentiles, that whosoever believeth on him should be saved. What a wonderful truth. Verse number 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And how did he do that? Well, this sums up the purpose of Christ's ministry, that he came to die. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, and he accomplished his purpose through the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. Romans 5, verse 9 and 10, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Years ago, in 1987, Northwest Airlines Flight 225 crashed just after takeoff in Detroit, killing 155 people. Only one person survived the crash, a little girl named Cecilia, four years old, from Arizona. When the rescuers came, they did not believe that she was on the plane because nobody survived. They thought maybe she wandered off from a car that, that, uh, nearby where the crash took place. But when they looked at the manifest of who was, who was on the, the, the flight, they saw this little girl, Cecilia. When they went through the wreckage and they found out how this little girl was saved as the plane was going down her mother unbuckled her seat and uh, her seatbelt and she knelt in front of where her daughter was and wrapped herself around her daughter's body to embrace uh, the impact that was inevitable and that would come and in those last moments of this mother's life nothing would separate her love from her child and that little girl was saved And folks, that's just kind of a glimpse, if you would, of the love of Christ for us, that he's willing to lay down his life to redeem mankind. Yes, even a sinner like Zacchaeus, a chief publican, a top-level, top-ranking of a sinful profession, a sinner. See, the greatest truth of the story of Zacchaeus is that no matter what happens in the past— Jesus can still work into our lives and change us. He'll always be there for those who have spiritual eyes open to see him, to recognize who he is. And I want to say this, that, that if it's not enough that, that Zacchaeus sought him. It's not enough that he knew about Jesus being in Jericho, but he had to take the next step to encounter Jesus. And here's what happened. Changed life. Changed life. One of the biggest things that I look to when I got saved I grew up in church from the moment I was born I was in church growing up as a teenager I had a desire for God I saw Him and, and I, was, I was I'll be honest with you I was working for my salvation I was trying to make God happy with me I was trying to make Him pleased with me and I was, I was working but I was wicked I struggled with so many things I remember the night I finally bowed the knee August of uh, 2002. I knelt down. I was in the the army in my barracks room and knelt down and called out to Jesus for salvation. I knew all the truths but it was time to make it real. Now folks, we're not saved by works, so please don't miss the message. But when Jesus reached down and touched me a change came to my life was i perfect no nope. but a change took place i began seeking god and serving god simply because he is worthy because of what he had done for me and folks sometimes i wonder if if there's a great disconnect why he's not lord why we are not following him, why we are not abstaining from, from wickedness and, and pursuing him. And I wonder, first of all, did we really get it? We saw a change immediately with Zacchaeus. And this is not where we can judge one another. Uh, and, you know, we, we look, well, that person can't be saved. They're doing this. And I, I'm not, I, I don't go down that path. We're not Pharisees. But have you ever had that thought and wondered, you know, why am I not getting it? Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need to be surrendered. In uh, Romans 12, the Bible says this, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Reasonable. What's interesting there is that word, present your body, a living sacrifice. The word there, present, it's, uh, it's, it's written in a tense that basically is, it carries the idea of it's a one-time action that impacts the rest of your life. It's a one-time thing. See, for the longest time, I thought, well, this is just kind of, uh, i got to keep coming back to that, and i got to keep going further, and i got to keep going further. No, no, there needs to come a point where we, where we just make that surrender. God, I'm yours. God, I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I'm going to honor you because of that with my body, and, and I, I, I'm no longer my own to make these decisions. I'm no longer my own to, 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 to get wealth by wronging others like Zacchaeus, but rather I am yours. What would thou have me to do? Surrender. I don't know where you are at today, but there's some wonderful truths that we gain from the life of Zacchaeus and his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't we just take some time this morning and spend some time with the Lord?